Well, it's great to be with you this morning. My name is Joe, and I'm honored to worship with those of you who are here with us in person in Troy, and I'm especially honored uh, to be invited into your home, all of you who are watching right now. I'm so glad that you are watching uh, during this series called God When God Goes Dark. One of the things that all of us have in common, uh, whether you are a follower of, of Jesus or not, is that at some point in our lives, all of us have asked God to act in some way, and he didn't. And when that happens uh, for all of us, in those moments when it, when it feels like and it seems like God is inactive, um, for all of us, those are our moments that cause us um, to doubt. Right? Now, that's been true uh, in, in my life, and uh, I, I'm certain that that's been true um, in, in your lives as well. In fact, um, one of the things I get oft often asked as a pastor, uh, and especially when I was in student ministry, but as a pastor I continue to be asked, is um, do I ever experience and do I ever have seasons uh, of doubt myself? Um, doubts about whether or not, you know, all this is true. Um, doubts as to whether or not, you know, is this whole thing true or is this just some giant, you know, coping mechanism that we've all deluded ourselves with to, to somehow manage the craziness um, that, that we experience in our world? Um, and, and if I think about all the different times and all the different ways that people have asked me that question in some form or, or another, um, I, I think the truth is uh, there's probably two reasons why um, people ask me that question. Um, the, the first reason is, is that they're hoping that I'm going to say no, right? No. No, I have never doubted, right? And the reason they're hoping that is because deep down they have some doubts, um, but they're hoping that, that I don't. Um, because e even though they have some doubts, um, they're hoping that maybe that's because um, there's more to know than they know or there's more to understand than they understand. Um, and so they just kind of want to, you know, piggyback on, on my faith. Um, and, and that's not necessarily a bad thing to do from time to time, right? I mean, the truth is all of us who grow up in church, we've all kind of piggyback on our parents' faith at, at some point. Um, if you've ever been mentored by somebody, if you've ever been discipled by somebody, um, then all of us have, have kind of piggybacked on, on someone's faith at some point. Um, and, and, and you know this, um, in life, um, questions tend to come faster than answers, right? Um, and, and so the, the truth is, um, because of that, the, the fact that questions in life tend to come uh, uh, faster than answers, um, the truth is it's actually a good and a wise thing uh, to, to realize that even though you do not maybe have the specific answer to a specific question, that somebody else does. But, but the problem with just kind of permanently piggybacking on somebody else's faith um, uh, is that if something happens to, to their faith, right, if something happens to them, then you kind of end up going down with them. In fact, this is actually one of the reasons why, as a church, we, we put such an emphasis on um, trying to get everybody, um, young adults, students, and, and adults, to take part in, in mission trips and, and weekend retreats. That's why you hear us talking about these kinds of things all the time, because these are tremendous faith-building experiences for both adults and students, and these types of experiences help each of us to own our faith in a way um, that, that few other things can. Now, um, the other reason why people ask me if I've ever had any doubts um, is because for some reason they are under the impression that as a follower of Jesus that you're not allowed to ever have any doubt. And, and, so, um, and so when I say, yeah, yeah, of course I, I've doubted, um, that gives them a little bit of relief because then they think, well, if I as a pastor can experience doubt, then it's probably okay um, that, that they as an individual have experienced doubt as, as well. 
And the, and the truth is, um, dealing with doubt and handling doubt uh, in that whole territory, that's just part of what it means um, to, to follow Jesus. The, the real issue um, for all of us is what do you actually do with your doubt? And so today, as we continue in, in this series, I, I want to just kind of jump right to the emotional center of, of this whole thing, um, because the, the bottom line is this, um, that, that God's silence um, does not equate to his absence. It does not mean that he does not care. And it does not mean that he is angry with you. And, and listen, the reason I can say this to every single one of you, everyone that's here right now, everyone that's watching right now, the reason I can tell you this absolutely and unequivocally is because of one of the most famous statements, not only in all of history, but certainly in all of the scripture that tells us that God, he so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. See, the reason I know that God's silence is not absence, the reason I know that, that God is aware and that he does care, and the reason I know that God is not angry at you is because God actually poured out his anger at sin on the cross. And when he asked his son to die for you, he settled whether or not he actually cares about you. And he settled whether or not he is concerned with you individually, whether or not he is aware uh, of your life. And so today what I want to do is I want to just kind of tell you how it is that I handle um, and, and what helps me when I'm in these kind of dark moments personally, um, because I have my dark moments um, j just like you do. And, and again, the reason I tell you that is because as your pastor, I, I don't want you to think that like I stand up here on a weekend and pretend with you. I don't want you to think that I've got some kind of a wrinkle-free life and I don't know what it feels like to experience heartbreak or to experience loss. That's, that, that's not the kind of person that I am. It's certainly not the kind of pastor um, that I want to be. And so here's what I do um, when I start to have these kind of questions um, and when I start to experience these moments in my life where it feels um, like God has, has gone dark. One of the very first things I do um, is I, I look in here and I see if I can find anyone in the pages of Scripture whose circumstances or whose experience is similar to mine. Because if there's somebody in here that's had the same doubts and expressed the same doubts or is facing the same circumstance or the same questions in life that, that I am, then I am immediately reminded that I can actually be a follower of Jesus and experience doubt. That I can be a follower of Jesus and have a life or have parts of a life or have seasons in life where it feels like God has gone dark. Because that means that the same God who is faithful to these people is going to be faithful to me. Because this is the record of the Savior who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that means that you are not alone. And it means that you are not the first. And even though there's no simple answers, right? I mean, you're not going to find some 30-minute counseling session in here or personal coaching session that's immediately going to change all your circumstances and make your life magically better. That is not what is in here. But what is in here is the confidence of knowing that you and I, we can actually walk through difficult times in life and we can know that our Heavenly Father is still with us and I don't have to associate the difficulties of life with the trustworthiness or the character of God. And so today what I want to do is I want to tell you a story about a person that Jesus knew, a person that Jesus loved, and a person 
um, who found himself maybe in the exact or very similar situation that you're in right now, which is making you ask a whole series of questions that, again, maybe you're asking um, yourself today, which is simply this, God, where are you? Do, do you love me? God, do you remember my name? God, do you care? Do you actually care about what's going on with me? And, and our story um, begins with somebody that you've probably heard of before, uh, a man by the name of Herod, King Herod, actually, the Great. Now, um, Her this, this Herod, this King Herod, was, was um, not called great because he was a great guy. He was actually a, a, a terrible human being. Um, he, he was called great because he, he was a great builder, right? And so... Um, this is the same King Herod who sent a bunch of soldiers into Bethlehem when Jesus was born to, to murder all the, the baby boys there to try to keep Jesus from becoming king one day, right? That, that's the kind of guy um, that this person was, right? Completely evil. He had ten wives. He murdered two of his wives. He murdered three of his own sons, okay? Um, uh, Caesar Augustus, who you hear about, we hear about every year at, at Christmas time, he actually said this about this King Herod. He said, it's better to be one of King Herod's swine than one of his own sons, right? That's how evil um, this guy King Herod was. Well, when, when this King Herod died, uh, Rome was like, okay, he had way too much power. We're not going to do that again. And so what they did is they took his kingdom and they divided his kingdom up into, into four parts. And, and, the, 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 and they gave each one of his sons, of his surviving sons, part of, part of his territory to rule. And, and the, the king, the son that became king over the area of Galilee, which is where Jesus spent most of his time, um, was known and, and was named King Herod Antipas. Now, um, Herod Antipas was better than his father, um, but he was far from being a, a good guy. And, and one of the not so good things that he did was to go and marry his brother's wife, who was also his niece, which is really weird, who is named Herodias, right? Herodias, right? So, th I mean, th that, would be, that would be bad even in our world today. Right? And so this effectively made Herodias the, the queen of Galilee. And so when the Jewish people who were living in Galilee, when, they, when this happened, like they, um, they, they were, were just completely disgusted by this King Herod, but they wouldn't dare say anything to him. Um, in fact, nobody said anything to him until another man by the name of John the Baptist shows up. Um, and John the Baptist was not one of Jesus' disciples, but he is or was, one of, was Jesus' older cousin. And he had a reputation for being a very powerful preacher. And his main message always dealt with sin and repentance. And so um, John the Baptist, once you know, Herod Antipas married his niece slash sister-in-law, um, once he married her right, and made her queen and brought her into the palace in Galilee, um, John the Baptist started using them um, as an example of sin. And so he started calling them out by name, like daily in, in, in the public square. Herod thought this was kind of funny. Um, Herodias, she didn't think it was funny, right? Because every day John is out there in public and he's saying, okay, Her Herodias is an adulteress, she's an adulteress, she's an adulteress, right? And, and, and so um, eventually she convinces her husband, Herod Antipas, to, to throw um, John the Baptist in, in prison in, in the middle of the desert. Um, but Mark tells us that even though he did that, Herodias nursed a grudge against John, and she wanted to kill him, 
right? She was being in prison wasn't good enough. She she just she wanted him dead, but she was not able to have him killed um, because her husband Herod feared John, and so he protected him, knowing him to be don't miss this a righteous and holy man. And then this is kind of strange. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, and yet he liked to listen to him. And so apparently what would happen is every once in a while when, when Herod Antipas would get bored, um, he would say to somebody, hey, go, go get John, bring him out of the prison. Um, and he would say to John, hey, preach to me, right? And he would actually listen to John as John preached against his sin, right? And, and he was fascinated by this. Um, and, and yet he, he knew, right, he, he knew that there's, there's something about this guy. And so the last thing that Herod Antipas wants to do is have, um, have John killed. Um, and, and so um, he just kind of leaves him in that state, right? He's just kind of hanging out in prison day after day after day, and, and, and nothing changes. And this goes on for months, goes on for years. And then eventually John begins to, to experience um, what, what you have and what I have when we're stuck in the same situation in life and it's not good, and nothing changes, and time goes by, and time goes by, and time goes by, um, he, he begins to experience doubt. And see, this is where John's story intersects with your story. And see, the interesting thing about John's story is that um, Jesus absolutely loved John the Baptist. In fact, you might, not, you might know this, but in the very beginning when this whole thing gets started, um, nobody knows who Jesus is and everybody knows who John the Baptist is. In fact, one day John's out and he's got a whole crowd of people who are listening to him and, and, and John looks at this crowd of people and he says, okay, listen, you got to stop following me. You need to start following this guy, right? This is the guy you need to follow. In fact, compared to him, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. He is the lamb of God that, that has been sent to take away the sin of the whole world. Right, John the Baptist actually pointed people to Jesus. And then Jesus, he, he went on and he said this about John the Baptist. He said, among those born of women, right, which would be kind of all of us, right? Among those born of women, um, there has not risen anyone who is greater than John the Baptist. Right, I mean, think about that. How would you like Jesus to say this about you? And this gets even crazier when you think about it, because again, John the Baptist, he was there, if you know the story. Not only did he announce Jesus to the people, but he was there when Jesus was baptized. I mean, he saw the Holy Spirit descend on Jesus physically. He heard audibly the voice of God saying, this is my son, right? This is my son whom I love, whom I am pleased with. And now John is actually imprisoned for doing the right thing. And so if ever there was a reason for a miracle, it seems like this would be a pretty good one. And this is where Mark kind of hands the story off to Matthew, and Matthew tells us this. He said that when John um, actually heard uh, about, in, while he was in prison, what Jesus was doing, John sent his disciples, right? Jesus has disciples, John also had disciples. John sent his disciples to ask Jesus are you the one who was to come? Or should we be looking? Should we be expecting somebody else? It's like, okay, wait, wait, time out, John. You are literally the person who told us that Jesus is the guy. 
John, it's because of you that everybody thinks that Jesus is the guy. John, you said the whole reason you're even here is to point out the fact that Jesus is the guy. And now you want us to ask him this question? It doesn't even make any sense. Isn't it interesting how a sudden change in circumstance, good or bad, incidentally, how a sudden change in, in circumstance, how that actually impacts our faith and how we experience and, and how we have confidence in God? In fact, at the beginning of our time today, if I would have said, okay, I want you to name some people who, who followed Jesus but who, who had doubt in Jesus, um, nobody would have said John the Baptist, right? Everybody, you would have said Peter, right? You, you would have said Thomas. Um, you, would have said, um, you would have said Judas maybe. Right, but, but there it is, right, right in black and white. And, and see, again, this is the part that we never think of. This same thing can happen even when we're experiencing something good. In fact, this might be what happened to you in college, right, because, um, because you, you worked hard in high school, you got great grades, you, you did really well on, on your tests, you, you made sure that you had all the right activities and, and clubs that you were a part of in school, right, and you got into your first choice school, you even got some scholarship money. And once you got there, you met all kinds of new people, and, and you were having tons of fun, um, but the faith that you were relying on while you were in college, suddenly you discover you woke, woke up one morning, and it was like it's just your faith wasn't there anymore. You're, you're having more fun than ever, but you had less faith than ever. A sudden change in environment, right? Sudden change in circumstance. And our faith can very, very easily be impacted. Or maybe your experience is more like John's. Maybe things aren't going so well. Maybe you've been struggling to find a decent job. It's been a long time since you were meaningfully employed. Maybe for you it's the, it's the insurance thing, the health insurance thing. The deductibles are just piling up. The out-of-pocket costs are, are just piling up. You, you've got a son. You, you've got a daughter. And you've been praying and praying and praying. And, and, and nothing's changing. It's like somehow God becomes different, right, because our circumstances are different. And, and we know, I mean, we know logically that that doesn't make sense, but that's exactly how it feels, isn't it? All of a sudden in that situation, you begin to doubt, you have questions about things, you're doubting things that you never dreamt you would doubt. Isn't it fascinating that when you go through a hard time, I pray. But when I go through a hard time, I doubt. Why is that? I mean, logically, we know this doesn't make any sense, right? But it is exactly, it is exactly what happens. And see, part of it is this, and I think we kind of know this. Um, if you're in a season of life or if you're in an experience of life that's highly traumatic, if you're in a very traumatic situation or you've experienced trauma recently or in the past, when we're experiencing trauma or pain or hurt emotionally or physically, that just shrinks us down to the size of me, doesn't it? Pain always shrinks us down to the size of, uh, of us. That's not a bad thing. Um, that's just a human thing. That's just what happens, right? Because you know this. There is an amount of pain or hurt that you can experience, and it just kind of prevents you um, from caring uh, about anyone or anything else. 
because pain always shrinks us to the size of me. See, that's what's happening with John the Baptist right now. Even with all he's seen, right, even with all he's heard, suddenly his world is no bigger than his prison cell. And so, of course, I mean, of course he begins to doubt. And see, that is what makes Jesus' response to John so absolutely amazing. But, but before we look at what Jesus said to John in this situation, I want to take a moment, I want to point out what Jesus did not say, okay? Because Jesus did not say to John's disciples, just go tell back and tell John, well, of course I'm the one. Of course, I mean, what is he even doing asking right now? That's, that's ridiculous. Of course I'm the one. He knows better. Neither does he say to John's disciples, just tell John to quit worrying. I mean, because after all, if he quits worrying, I'm going to send a couple angels down there. We're going to bust him out of prison tonight, you know, if he stops worrying. Right? Jesus doesn't say any of those things. Instead, this is what Jesus says, and, and this is for you. And this is for me. When we're in those moments and it feels like God has gone dark. Jesus says this. He says, blessed is the one. Go and report. Go and report what you hear and what you see. Right? You've got to go back and you've got to tell John what it is that you hear and what it is that you see. You need to go back and you need to tell John about the activity of God outside of his prison cell because John is a prisoner. Right? He is a prisoner to what he can hear, and he is a prisoner to what he can see. So you need to go back and you need to remind him. Don't condemn him. Right? Don't make him feel guilty. Um, don't act like you don't understand, Jesus is saying. Listen, his pain has shrunk him down to the size of a prison cell. He, he's no larger than his pain. So of course, right? so of course he is beginning to doubt. So you need to go back and you need to tell him, what you've heard and what you've seen, that the blind receive sight, that the lame walk, that those who have leprosy are cured, that the deaf hear and the dead are raised, and that the good news is preached to the poor. You need to tell John, Jesus is saying, listen, you can keep believing in me because I am absolutely the one. I want you to tell him about all the people I've healed, all the miracles that, that you've seen. I want you to go back and I want you to tell John that he can keep believing in me absolutely because of everything I'm doing for everybody else. And see, that's where your life is. That's where my life is. That's us, isn't it? Now, I want to take a minute um, and I want to disagree publicly uh, with a number of my peers uh, who do what I do uh, in this world uh, because John the Baptist was going to be in prison no matter how much faith he had. And John the Baptist was going to be in prison no matter how obedient he had been. John the Baptist was in prison because for whatever reason, being in prison was right in the middle of whatever it was that God was doing at that moment. And see, Jesus knew. Je Jesus knew that it was going to be hard 
for John the Baptist, his cousin, to maintain faith in Jesus in this moment because Jesus, his cousin, actually had the power to get him out. And for whatever reason, he chose not to. And that is what makes what Jesus says next so absolutely amazing. This is for you. Blessed is the person who does not fall away on account of me. This is an absolutely amazing and powerful statement. In other words, blessed is the person who does not equate my silence as absence. Blessed is the person who when I do certain things or when I don't do certain things, when I answer certain prayers, when I don't answer certain prayers, blessed is the person who trusts in me and who follows me and who believes in me in spite of, in spite of me. Blessed is the person that continues to trust me even when I do not seem to be acting on their behalf. See, Jesus knew all about John the Baptist, and your Heavenly Father knows all about you. And I get it. This is not one of those messages of like, oh, Joe, I'm so glad you told me that because now I just feel so much better, right? I mean, I, I totally understand that. But listen, this is why this is so important today. I want to help create a new category for you w with your faith. It is so important to understand your personal circumstances are not the way that you determine how it is that God feels about you. The proof that, of how God feels about you is what happened on the cross, not what's happening at home. Not what's happening at school, not what's happening with your family, not what's happening with your work. The, the way that you determine um, how, how, what you, how, how you matter or your worth to your Heavenly Father is by what Jesus did on the cross for you. And if death could not keep Jesus in the grave, then what you're up against at home, it isn't going to win. And what you're up against with your kids, it isn't going to win. And what you're up against with your health, it isn't going to win. What you're up against with your family, it isn't going to win. Do not, let, do not make the mistake of allowing your faith to hang on whatever it is that's gone your way lately. And listen, I understand. I understand how incredibly difficult that is. I, I do. I'm telling you, more than you realize but when you are in, in the middle of that kind of, the, when you're in the middle of the desert, right, and those kind of circumstances just start piling up on top of you, you want to hold on to this truth with everything that is in you because the temptation is to try to find God in, in the middle of the circumstance. And God is there and he is working and he is doing something. But when you're in the middle of the mess, it is very unlikely that you're actually going to see what it is that God is doing in the mess. And this is, again, this is so incredibly important. I, I want to help you understand. I want to create a new category for your faith so that you realize and so that you know that your unanswered prayer does not mean that your Heavenly Father is uninterested in you. Because the truth is, if you have an unanswered prayer, you and John the Baptist have something in common. You and some of the finest people in this world have something in common. You and, and people like C.S. Lewis and Mother Teresa and Martin Luther and Martin Luther King Jr. 
and Billy Graham. You and some of the, the finest people that have ever walked on our planet have something in common because God's silence is not evidence of his absence. And his silence is not a result of apathy. How do we know? Because of the life of John the Baptist and so many other people. There is a category. There are seasons of life where it seems like and where it feels like God has gone dark. Where it seems like God is silent, but he is never silent. And there are moments in life when it seems like God is inactive, but he is never inactive. And Jesus himself makes you this promise. Blessed is he, blessed is she, who does not fall away, who does not lose faith on account of me. And blessed means blessed by God, blessed by your heavenly Father. He knows your name. He knows your circumstance. He knows what's happening in your life. And in the midst of that, he makes you this promise. Blessed are all of us who refuse to stumble away because of Jesus. Before we pray, before I pray for you this morning, um, going through these moments, these moments in life where it feels like God has gone dark, are quite literally some of the most difficult and emotional heart-wrenching moments that we will ever experience in, in the course of, of this life. And so um, if, if you're going through a moment like that, if you have a friend or a family member who's going through a moment like that, and if you were to ask Jesus, um, like, like we see in the story today, what do we do in that situation? How do you handle it? How do you help your friend? How do you help your loved one? I think Jesus would say to us the very same thing he said to John the Baptist. You, you look back and you remember and you look outside of your present circumstance and you reflect. You look back and, and you actually remember those times where God did come through. Because what's happening now does not negate the reality of answered prayers in your past. That time when God did come through. When God made himself real to, to you in a, in a way that absolutely transformed and, and changed your life. All those past occurrences, all those past interactions with God, all of that is real. It is absolutely real. And what's happening now does not discount or negate any of it. And so you, you got you, you to gotta look back and, and you remember and then directly to, to Jesus' point, you got to look outside of your present circumstance because you're just so, if this is you right now, you're so entrapped by the nature of, of your pain and your hurt. You're just, you're a prisoner. And hear me, it's not your fault. It wasn't John's fault. I mean, he was in jail for literally doing the right thing. It's not your fault. But it is reality. And so you've got to look back and you remember and, and you've got to look outside your present circumstance. You've got to reflect. Because your Savior has made an incredible promise to you. Blessed is anyone who does not fall away on an account of him.
Let me pray for you this morning. Father, you know, you know exactly what every single one of us is carrying right now. None of us get a pass on this. This is something that all of us, we're going to come face to face with this experience and this reality. Many of us already have. Many of us already have many times. And Father, you know, you know where we struggle. You know what our fear is. You know what our hurts are. You know where the doubts tend to creep up. And so for that person who is is here right now and they're listening to all this and, and they just, Father, they are pleading for you. I just pray that you would make yourself known, not that you would fix everything or anything. Because, Father, we, we know that in this world, the truth is there are going to be things that don't get fixed on this side of eternity. We, we don't worship you for what you can do for us. We don't cling to you because you're a genie that fixes everything we want you to fix. That, that's not what this is about. Jesus, we simply ask, and I ask on behalf of everyone who's struggling right now, who's here, who's watching, Jesus, I just ask that you make your presence felt and known in a very personal, in a a very real way. And Father, I, I pray. I pray that for all of us who have family and friends that are are in the middle of the desert right now, that you would use us not to condemn, not to draw out guilt, but that you would give us words, Holy Spirit, so that we could speak words of comfort, words of life, words of grace, and words of truth, words that will remind us, Jesus, of your powerful love and your powerful promise for each of us. And Father, in these next few moments, as we take this time, as we prepare our hearts for communion, as we prepare to receive the body and the blood of our Lord and our Savior Jesus, which is the ultimate reminder of your presence with us and the truth about how you feel of us, I pray that in these moments that that we just unload on you, that we tell you what we're hurting, what we're struggling with, what we're afraid of, that we would just be honest with you because you know how we feel anyway. You're not intimidated by that. We don't need to be ashamed by that. Just give us the courage that we need to bring all of those feelings that make us uncomfortable Remind us that they will never make us unloved. Remind us that they will never make us unchosen or unvalued by you. And that you will continue to work in the middle of our circumstance.
good news of the gospel is that your Savior, Jesus, he is the same. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he promises that he will always be the, the Savior who brings his grace, his truth, his love, and his peace into your life. No matter what you experience in this life, he promises the thing that will win and that will carry you forward is his power, his love, and his resurrection, his life in you and through you. And so your sin, it is truly forgiven. It's in Jesus' name that we